Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 76. Screwtape Retrospective. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we've eavesdropped on Screwtape and read his toast to the Tempter's College, and it's now time for a Screwtape retrospective. Yay! And these are my absolute favorite, the retrospective episodes, because, listeners, it is genuinely a journey for both Andrew, David, myself, when we go through these books, because we're going so slowly, we're unpacking them, we're learning from each other, just like you guys are hopefully learning along this journey. And so this gives us an amazing chance to come together, all three of us, with less structure and just talk about what stuck out to us, what we learned the most, what impacted our spiritual lives, and hopefully recap some of the biggest themes for some takeaways for each of you guys and ourselves to go into our spiritual lives going forward and to combat Satan. Well, and one of the things I noticed, again, um, Jerry Root talks about C.S. Lewis being a lifelong author. Uh, an author that will will stay with you for your whole lives. And Screwtape is one of those books, I think, that is at the foremost of that. Uh, Screwtape bears fruit again and again and again and again. And I, I loved, I noticed that even in looking at the retrospective. Well, I got to say one quick story. I was in uh, confession and I was halfway through the Screwtape letters and the priest says to me, you know, I would suggest, particularly for your penance, you should read the screw tape letters. I think it would really help you on, on your journey. And I'm just started chuckling on the inside and I didn't want to say, and he said, read it slowly. And I'm like, <laughs> if only you knew, Father, if only you knew how slowly I was reading it. It's the only way David lets me read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just have to angle your priest to give you more penance and this time have him for your penance, uh, have you read the four loves. <laughs> I love it. Well, one of the things I was going to say that I've really loved about this past season is the number of people who have been doing Screwtape book clubs. Mm. It's included some of the guests that we've had on this season, Dr. Brenton Dickinson and Father Michael O'Loughlin. They've both been involved in some. Uh, one of our patron supporters, Gary, he's also been doing one. And I saw on PragerU just the other day that they've been doing one. And Andrew's been doing it as well. So you know, all of the best people are clearly doing <laughs> Screwtape Letters group discussions. There's so much there. And I think that one of the issues that I that I find when I teach it or when I do it in a, in a book discussion, I did one with All Saints Church in Chevy Chase. And then I just finished up a two-part series called To Hell with CSL. Uh, for the Church of the Redeemer here in Sarasota. Um, I mean, with all of those letters, there's way too much to do in uh, in in a, a short book club. Um, and so I think the way that we have done it in some ways is the most satisfying. Well, speaking of C.S. Lewis books, <laughs> I read Reflections on the Psalms for the first time yesterday. You read the I whole thing? I it out in a day. Yep. Uh-huh. Beginning to end. It was fantastic. Would you, oh, I was going to say, would you recommend it? Yes. It, don't expect a blow-by-blow analysis of psalms. It's more of essays on the psalms, as in the issues that you will tend to come across, both their poetic style, the parallelism that you find there, as well as questions of what do you do about the imprecatory psalms, where they're calling down curses on other people. What do you make of the fact that the psalmist always protests his own innocence? He seems to think that he is fault, faultless, righteous. What do we do about that? Hmm. Uh, 
some really interesting essays. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to doing it again at a later date. And didn't you notice something right away, David? Didn't you text me about something that you noticed? <laughs> no, 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 nothing at all. Nothing, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> I got this blistering fast text. Oh my gosh, this is a perfect Till You Have Faces quote in Reflections on the Psalms a couple of years after Lewis had written Till You Have Faces. And it struck me that the reason why you all have not arrived at the proper conclusion about Lewis's best book is you just haven't read enough Lewis yet to see that Till You Have Faces is. That is a fantastic is. answer. Well, we're not old enough, you see. <laughs> Wow. Oh, wow. David went there. <laughs> David Listen, if you lived there. closer, I would pull the tennis balls <laughs> off of my walker and I'd throw them at you. <laughs> well, and I want to mention that uh, the C.S. Lewis Foundation, uh, which has been coming to uh, Camp Allen in Texas, in the Houston area of Texas, for a fall retreat um, for many years, since I think 2003, 2004, they'll be returning this fall. And the theme of that uh, of that retreat is Reflections on the Psalms. And so uh, I've been asked to be a plenary speaker, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be great fun. So. Camp Allen is happening again and a wonderful, uh, wonderful time to lean into this book. What have you been reading, uh, Matthew? Well, I was just about to say, speaking of C.S. Lewis books and trying to (laughs) enhance, well, I guess it's not C.S. Lewis book, but it's a book about C.S. Lewis. I'm reading Dr. Hal Poe's books. And so I'll be interviewing actually tomorrow from, not from when this is released, but from when we're recording. His first book, Becoming C.S. Lewis, not to be mistaken for Becoming... Mrs. Lewis, Lewis. and the making of C.S. Lewis. It's a three-part series, which the second one has just been released, and you guys will hear more about that in the coming month or two when we release the interview with Dr. Poe. But it is actually the first Lewis autobiography I am reading, and it's incredibly in-depth. And I'll just tease listeners for that interview. I have learned so much about Lewis's life from the first book kind of goes up to 18, 20 years old. He was so different. He was mm-hmm. arrogant. He was snobbish. He was a prick. I mean, he was just the, the pride of it. At least that's the, the, the takeaway I got from it. Huge difference. Like the conversion, the graces God must have bestowed on C.S. Lewis and that conversion are insane. Well, it just, it makes sense because Lewis unsaved with that enormous intellect you know, why wouldn't he be completely taken with himself? And, yes. you know, and and early prose joy kind of follows up of that picture about how self-centered he really was. Yes. And so now I'm halfway through, even though I have to do the interview in less than 24 hours, the second book. And so David's already sweating, but it will be finished. And uh, <laughs> this other one is quite interesting on his journey as well. I'm, I'm just right up to the point where he's become a, a theist. Tolkien's in his life. And I'm excited to see probably a lot of stuff to start unfold here in the second half of this book. Well, don't worry, Matt. If you save everything to the last minute, it only takes a minute. That is, okay. Yep, that's going on my mirror. <laughs> David. Like Matt needed a more detailed philosophy to, uh, to build his life around. Great. <laughs> Listeners, can you hear David break out in hives? <laughs> what was that, Matt? And you said something and it's killing me that's not coming to me. And I don't think it will quickly enough earlier. And I was like, oh, I'm going to add that to my life philosophy quotes. Ah, And now I just, I the know. listeners are all like, what was it? It will come to me by the end of this episode. I know what it was. Um, uh, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Phil Masters, who I believe uh, teaches at the Brentwood Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, was a colleague of mine at Houston Christian, a wonderful guy, Wheaton uh, college grad and a soccer player there. And he had, I think, a theology professor at Wheaton who said, every Christian who isn't a Catholic should understand very clearly why. 
Yes. And we were talking about my respect for the Catholic faith and and um, I've been doing hospital chaplaincy and praying with my Catholic patients and I'm thankful for the Catholic woodworker and the gift from them that you gave me, you all gave me that I have used much with my Catholic patients. That's here. exactly so. what it was. Thank you for closing that OCD loop in my head. We can progress now. <laughs> no worries. Well, my reading this week, uh, just to make you all jealous, I'm holding up the annotated Hobbit. Ooh. And I've got a copy in the other room of the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings, all of it. Because this is technically homework for you, right? On fairy stories. <laughs> and then I was able to score a copy of the enormous Michael C. Drought Tolkien Encyclopedia of, what does it call it? Scholarship and, and Critical Assessment. Andrew, I have been waiting to find that for the last three years of my life. I've been searching <laughs> the ends of the earth to read that, and I just can't find it. Yeah, let me hit you in the head with it, sir. <laughs> I think drought is the wrong name. Flood would be a better description from the size of that book. Oh, my gosh. That was huge. And I was, uh, I was honored to, uh, to do the entry on the coal biters uh, in that book. So I finally got a hold of a copy for a reasonable price. But So, yes, all Tolkien all the time. Good to hear you yeah. call it the coal biters because in my interview with Dr. Poe, I guaranteed would have said like coal bitter or something. Well, the, the Icelandic word is cold bitar, but they call themselves the coal biters as well. Perfect. But enough about ancient history. Let's go straight to hell. What do you say? Let's do it. Oh, David, let's have some chit chat for you. Tell us what, what's the latest from you, David. Yeah, David's stressing because he has about three pages worth of pre-notes here <laughs> that he, we just almost skipped over. <laughs> uh, I think I will just summarize it by saying that I'm now officially a homeowner. The other day, yeah. I filled in a bunch of numbers on my bank website, pushed a button, and a lot of money went out of my account. After a very long 30 minutes later, the title company told me that they had received my money, and so I was now a homeowner. Wonderful. And so, yeah, so we're going to be moving to Wisconsin in August, and our son will be born in September. Mm. Oh, good. Bless so God. you picked the hottest month of the year to move from, you know, a hot city to, you know, a humid mid Midwestern city. Good. Wise move. And, good luck. and I'm driving an eight-month pregnant lady with me. So, yeah, oh, going to be great. Oh, my goodness. Looking good forward luck, to it. David. <laughs> uh, but and Andrew's right. Did you have a story about, about somebody that you, uh, that you heard from on Instagram? Uh, not on Instagram, but one of the uh, one of the listeners back in England, Aiden, oh. who Marie and I actually met when we were visiting. Uh, we've been chatting, and I found out that he and his wife are also expecting around the same oh, time. Lovely. So everybody's having babies at the moment. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Let's push on. So let's do the quote of the week, and I chose this one because this has been the signature, the official signature of the Pints with Jack email for the last season. Ah, fantastic. Hell's cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Yes. Is that from one of my favorite letters, David? It might be from one of your favorite letters, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, we're on to the drink of the week, and this one's going to be a little different because we're all just drinking... Something we enjoy here is a retrospective. So we probably won't do individual tasting notes for all these, but we can all let each other know how much we like them. So I have pulled out my Macallan 18. First time I've drank in this since you all heard me drink it with Alessandro. Aha. Uh -huh. And Matthew got me a Lagavulin 16, which uh, in all its smoky goodness. 
I was out of mm. pure guilt when I got to San Diego since I've done so little admin work this season. <laughs> you oh, owe me another bottle. <laughs> I'm on my last small bottle that I was given from Matt at the start of the season. So appropriately enough, I am drinking the Balvini uh, 14-year-old Caribbean cask. And uh, this is my favorite description. Its body is viscous, <laughs> much like myself. <laughs> so... Well, moving on, one of the benefits for Gold Level supporters is that they receive a, a toast from us. Today, we're toasting Kay Mihalich. Andrew, let's hear a toast. Well, gentlemen, lift your glasses in Kay. As we finish uh, up our retrospective on the screw tape letters, I can't help but remind, uh, be, be reminded that in Christ, Christ is the Alpha and Omega, and in Christ, all things are new every morning, uh, steadfast love and mercies eternal. And so, uh, Kay, as we finish up, we raise a glass to new mercies in your life and the life of all of our listeners. Cheers. 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 Oh, I've been waiting 52 minutes to drink that. <laughs> I haven't been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, this is going to be our best episode of the season because Satan has tried to stop this from the beginning. It took us 30 minutes to get off the ground. <laughs> well, let's talk about Screwtape's letters then. Uh, which have been your favorite letters this season and why? Matt, do you want to kick things off? I will. I will. And I, it probably won't come as a surprise because during the letter itself, I'm always very transparent when something is just, I don't hide my emotions very well. And so if you guys remember letters eight and nine, we'll probably each go through one, but these were my top two. They were very much related. And it was a law of undulation. And mm -hmm. as I was also very transparent throughout in a lot of people, the pandemic was just very tough. Spiritual journeys were under attack, honestly. And it felt like in my life, and I would imagine for a lot of listeners, just a distance from God a lack of feeling, you're not feeling that joy and not a lot of beauty going on in life, you're losing your spiritual community. And so that chapter just came at a very beautiful time because as we'll, I'll, we'll see in letter nine, which was also my other favorite, when you're in that bottom point, it's a tactic of screw tapes to make it seem like the trajectory is the continuer downward motion. Not that this is just a low and you'll go through high again and you go through cycles. It's like, no, you think you're, when you're at the bottom, you think it's just going to keep going straight down and it's, it becomes a very despairing thought. And so this chapter came at a perfect moment in my life that it just, it hit me at the same time. I had that, that confession with the priest that was really moving. And so it all came together. Uh, and so this was a very impactful one. Hmm. And I can read, actually, I don't need to read that quote because that was a quote of the week. What's the first quote I was going to read for that? <laughs> uh, but David, <laughs> great. in that one, you had read the letters to Malcolm. And that, I remember when it was all coming to me, how profound you bringing that in made that letter even better because this was not in the original text. And this is what it says. Many religious people lament that the first fervors of their conversion have died away. They think sometimes rightly, but not, I believe, always, that their sins account for this. They may even try by pitiful efforts of will to revive what now seem to have been the golden days. But were those fervors, the operative word is those, ever intended to last? Hmm. I think what it was about that was I was struggling with, and I've said this before, I wanted to get back to the like 
2015 to 2019 era of my spiritual journey because that's when I was in a great community. Everything was firing at all cylinders. I was feeling incredible. Honestly, my spiritual life was near perfect in the sense of like, it just, I was at such a, a state of peace, content, and joy. And I, and I was trying to get back to that. And David's comment there in our discussion and other quotes, I won't read them, just really made me think maybe my job is not to get back to that. But God's teaching me something as I go through this for a new era, like die to this old way. And the sense that I got from that chapter was it's it's almost about becoming obedient in, in faithfulness, not despite feelings, was the big lesson I took away from that because it was really easy for me to be holy back in San Diego. It's been a lot harder since then. <laughs> well, and pay close attention to what Lewis calls our attention to. Were those fervors, the operative word is those, ever intended to last, mm. right? And Lewis talks in your Christianity about the schoolboy who hunkers down to learn Greek and gets all excited about it. But then, you know, um, dreaming aspiration has to turn into laborious doing, doing, Lewis says. And so by sticking with it, you get other fervors, right? And so there are more blessings and of a different sort on the way uh, by staying with it. And so um, let not your heart be troubled. And, uh, and and keep looking upward to the hills from whence your help comes. There are better things um, that God has imagined for you. I did appreciate the other quotes that David brought in on the saints, and I won't read them, but how someone wrote Saint John the Divine. That might be it. Where some of Lewis's or some of God's greatest friends, closest friends, go through really dark periods. Mm -hmm. That might have been Saint Therese. It's somewhat apocryphal, not entirely. When she gets thrown off her. her her horse and she shouts at heavens if this is how you treat your friends no wonder you have so few <laughs> <laughs> but it's the great saints who realize uh, their own fallenness as they get closer and closer to god but they also almost swoon in a greater appreciation of the loving kindness and the steadfast love of god um, and so that's that's the journey that we're on and i think that those letters about the law of undulation are so timely and so helpful for me as i continue to live life and those episode that episode was called love roller coaster which i'm still quite proud of <laughs> well done david <laughs> as are we uh so matt shared one uh why don't you show on andrew yeah, i'd be happy to this one was easy uh letter six uh in fact two of my letters were episodes that the two of you did and this was uh, the first of those. <laughs> you need to see Matt's face at this point, listeners. <laughs> I'm like, well done. He's really pleased with himself. Uh -huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Just a victory lap. I'm never above a little uh, affirmation. Uh, think of your man as a series of concentric circles, his will being the innermost, his intellect coming next, and finally his fantasy. You can hardly hope at once to exclude from all the circles everything that smells of the enemy, but you must keep on shoving all the virtues outward till they are finally located in the circle of fantasy and all the desirable qualities inward into the will. It is only insofar as they reach the will and are there embodied in habits that the virtues are really fatal to us. And I just love that. And it contains this kind of system for developing virtue that Lewis kind of talks about here and in Mere Christianity, that an action repeated will become a habit, and a habit repeated will become a virtue or a vice. But it's only as uh, uh, the goodness that I seek goes from the realm of fantasy, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could, if I would, 
to the intellect, hey, I really should do this, to the will, hey, I'm going to actually do something about it and then make it a habit and then make it a virtue that, uh, that anything happens. And for me, that has been just such a timely, timely guide for life and, and seems so, so true. So, and I, of course, the virtue, the habit, the action that we most need is the action, the habit, the virtue of love. I'm so glad you brought that one up because I forgot that. I, I, three hours last minute before this had to go skim through all of the letters. And so I spent very little time skimming some of them until I picked my ones. Thankfully, I know I picked the ones I would have picked, but that I don't remember looking at. And that would have been a very close top three. I remember going through that now and thinking to myself, yeah, how often are you in the morning? This is me reading scripture, reading the gospel stories and something pierces me. And then I go on with my day and I remember screw tape writing how that's dangerous for us, that's what he wants, is the more often we have this feeling of like a call to holiness or some sort of act of love, and then we do nothing. He, we, are, we are more and more and more dissociating our feelings from actions. It's really dangerous from that thought to no action. And I remember that being a very powerful letter in my journey. Well, it's when you said to me that you've been reading something here. oh this would make a great quick youtube video and then you don't do it then and then by the afternoon it's like i don't even remember what it was that is exactly right that piercing insight that i had that uh, that heavenly sound nope gone <laughs> listeners there's a lot of wonderful thoughts i had throughout this season that would have been great to capture in a skype session oh well <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I love what Lewis says um, in, in Mere Christianity, and it kind of echoes what you were saying, Matt. He says, that is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each day. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. And I was struck by that word shoving because he uses it in the, in the screw tape passage as well. The first job consists in shoving them all back, listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. And screw tape, I think, really helps me to recognize that these things are going to come at me like a wild animal and to make the virtue of just pushing it back and making space for the Lord and his word and our prayer to him. Uh, what, what good and timely advice, Matt. Way to go. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> what about you, David? The first one I picked was letter one. This was what I recorded with Trent Horn. We called it State of Confusion. And it was just the essential idea that screw tape doesn't want me to think clearly. This is the letter where he says the trouble with argument is it moves the whole struggle onto the enemy's own ground. He can argue too. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also in this episode that he, he says you've got to get your patient, you've got to get him to fix on his attention on the stream, the stream of sense experience. Call him mm -hmm. that real life and don't get him to think about it too much. <laughs> it's this real desire for anesthetizing. That's a very yes. fitting letter, David, for you to pick. <laughs> Well, and he, I, I love how he also says, um, don't have him read any of the real sciences, the hard sciences. We, the last thing we want is for him to think about realities he cannot see or, or, or touch mm. or feel. 
So yeah, no, I, if you hadn't picked that one, that would have, that would have been one that I chose too. <laughs> Matt, how about another one? This one will be short because it's, it was the one right after letter eight. So I don't really have to do too much background, but it was letter nine and it was more about what screw tape does in that down period. And so it was more the tangible things. I very much related to it as well. So I'll read this. Do not let him suspect the law of undulation. Let him assume that the first ardors of his conversion might have been expected to last and ought to have lasted forever, and that his present dryness is an equally permanent condition. And that's what I mentioned and alluded to earlier. It's that fear when you're in that dark spot that this is permanent or it's going to get worse. And then what the letter went into was how they can use that very much to their advantage to distort pleasures. You're very vulnerable to distorted pleasures. It made me think of St. Augustine and distorted love. And it made me think of, I remember talking about this on the episode, Thomas Aquinas. You know, when you're in those down moments and you're feeling just not a lot of joy and happiness, you'll turn to the wrong things in the wrong way to the wrong degree. And I remember Thomas Aquinas actually wrote, you know, one of the ways to actually help yourself out of that was, have a wine, take a bath and read a book, like simple pleasures and a good night's sleep. You had like four things and I, there's a lot of other ones. But the point of that was sometimes you just need real, genuine, good pleasure in the right way to the right degree uh, to get yourself out of that. Hmm. Interesting to me that you would pick a letter that had to deal with fervors, which is the same word as fever. And then you would pick a letter about ardors, which is another burning uh, <laughs> metaphor. And so maybe uh, maybe screw tape is just all designed to tell you to keep cool, cat. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you know that's my my type three wing four enneagram. You know, I my mm -hmm. type four, my wing four, really. Uh, I ride the highs and lows. There is no cool, mm -hmm. Matt. There is hot and there is cold. Oh my goodness. So another letter that I, that the, the two of you did is letter 15. Um, and I basically picking the ones, uh, where phrases kind of pop up without me having to open the book over and over again in my own life, in the life of my friends. Uh, whenever I speak to people, these are phrases that I can remember without even having to open the book. And so in letter 15, uh, the screw tape says that the enemy, that God, wants us therefore, I believe, uh, wants, that, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, with God, or be concerned with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else, and here's what I love, uh, obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. So uh, the, the past uh, attacks us with guilt, um, the future attacks us with worry, but now is when I can do my duty, and now is my biggest duty to attend to God as he is lovingly towards us in eternity. So that was why I chose letter 15. And think how well that fits with the letter 9 that I just talked about where you think you're in a permanent state. The only way you think you're in a permanent state is if you're extrapolating that state into future. And so if you mm -hmm. just take your present state 
in that present cross, you're bearing whatever sin or temptation or difficulty that might be and not think through that this could go on for eternity, you probably have a lot better chance bearing it because you don't have that despair and shame that are being unnecessarily applied due to thinking too far in the future and extrapolating too much. It's just like, you know, in this moment, I'm facing this temptation. Boom. Let me bear this here right now. And also you're exercising your agency because you can do something about that. You can act in the present, whether it's bear, Speak for yourself, David. (laughs) (laughs) Action, habit, virtue. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, whether it's bearing the cross or giving thanks for current pleasure, this is something you can do here and now. And Mm -hmm. when we exercise our agency, we feel much better, (laughs) even if it's just shouldering uh, the current concern. Um, But as soon as we put ourselves into the future, torn apart by anxiety, send ourselves back into the past, now it's now it's guilt. So it's it's at this point that we can actually do something, even if it's simply now waiting on the Lord. Yeah. Well, and this letter reminds me of Lewis's second best book, because we only have a few episodes of now wherein to write the narrative of which our eternity is based, right? And Mm -hmm. when we get to heaven and we get to the shorelands and are met by the spirits, if that's how it happens, um, uh, we won't have anything to add uh, to it and we can't take anything away from it. And so now is the moment that time touches eternity. Now is when I have the only time I have anything to do about making myself the kind of person that would be fit to go further up and further in into heaven. Mm. And tying in with that idea of what is ultimately heavily in hellish creatures about that it is a cumulative snowballing effect. Uh, my second letter that I chose was letter 12, which we called Slow Fade, uh, which was all about how small sins will do for screw tape if they'll get the job done. Mm-hmm. He says, doesn't really matter if they're small, just as long as the cum- cumulative effect is to push the man out from the light into the darkness. Or nothing, as actually he calls it. And he says, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Brilliant. I think what's also important to remember on, from that letter, and actually I don't even know if I mentioned this on the recording, it just came to me, but that can be kind of scary of a thought. I don't know about you guys, but in my own life, I've definitely seen the slow fade. And then the, some, the end conclusion of the slow fade is also you look back and you realize you're gone. But the same method can work in reverse. You know, yes. Very small things can bring you back rather than needing some massive grand gesture to win God's love back. It's like you don't need <laughs> the same way you don't need murder cards will do. You don't need to go renounce everything, give everything away, turn your whole life and like do some drastic change. Sometimes the slow thing of adding five minutes of prayer each day or adding X, Y, Z. And before you know it, five years from now, you're going to be like, whoa, what just happened to me? And it can begin with something even smaller than that. The Lord have mercy. Yes. (laughs) That cry of the heart that is going to begin this turnaround. Well, and you can even shorten that prayer. Lord is enough (laughs) of a prayer to get us well on the way, right? (laughs) Just a voice and call out somebody besides myself is already more than half the battle. A favored uh, priest friend of mine, uh, Father Ken Dimmick, said, you know, Andrew, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know what else is paved with good intentions? The road to heaven. Yes. And it's those intentions that we do a little small something about 
that will lead us to heaven and suit us to be there once we arrive. Mm, that was a good one, David. I almost picked that one as part of it. I Me almost too. what I almost did was <laughs> combined eight and nine as one because honestly, they're a continuation, part one and part two. And then I saw ah, David has slow fade. I couldn't be uh, busy to think of another fourth one, so I just separated them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I thought it was out of pure charity. <laughs> well, uh, we 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 said that we would pick three letters each. So what's your third one, Matt? The very final one, David, that you and I did, letter 31. And it really fits with the theme that the screw tape, the impact that it had on my life of that journey to love undulation in the dark periods, because this was when the patient comes fully through it. And I'm gonna just going to read both of these quotes because they were just really powerful. Yes, of course. It was. It always was like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse and forcing you into a kind of bottleneck till at the very moment when you thought you must be crushed. Behold, you were out of the narrows and all was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare and then you woke. You die and die and then you are beyond death. How could I ever have doubted it? Mm. I think that fits with that law of undulation where you're you're going down and down and down and down, and it feels like you can't handle anymore. And our good and gracious Father knows how much we can handle, and He's watching mm. us and He's providing the shade in the desert. And then it really does feel like that point where you feel like I'm I'm done. I can't do anymore. And then the upswing happens because. I, I got to be careful with what I say for this next sentence from a theological perspective, but I don't want to say testing, but maybe, but maybe part of it was testing, part of it was teaching a lesson. It could be anything, but God was permitting this to happen to to call draw out something, maybe to draw us closer to him in this period, to teach us something. I don't really know exactly, but he also knows when we just really can't handle anymore. And it's like, I can't do anymore. This is it. That's exactly what St. Paul talks about, and he uses the word testing or temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says, no testing or no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is mm -hmm. faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will provide the means by which you may endure it. And that's mm -hmm. that little daily cross. That's that little daily moment of, of thanksgiving. And we know from Hebrews that he underwent all of the same testing that we went through except without sin. And he's mm -hmm. gone before us. Thanks be to God. I love it. And I'd also join to that Second Corinthians 12, I think it is, where Christ says to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient. Yes. My power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> well, and I have a load of weakness, so that's good. <laughs> I've got <laughs> oh. an abundant pipeline for God's power. <laughs> if only you guys knew. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but let, let me finish with one more quote from this because I also really sure. like this. It was, after you come through it, what happens to the person? And I think this quote is a really inspiring quote. All the delights of sense or heart or intellect with which you could once have tempted him, even the delights of virtue itself now seem to him in comparison, but as the half-nauseous attractions of a rattled harlot would seem to a man who hears that his true beloved, whom he has loved all his life and whom he believed to be dead, is alive. And even now at his door, he is caught up into that world where pain and pleasure take on transfinite values and all our arithmetic arithmetic is dismayed. Like just that when you, when you've gone through that, when you've 
probably given in to some of those things where he's talking about the pleasures of delight that you could once tempt him with. And you've, you've really experienced the trueness and that, com- that communion with God. Those aren't even appealing anymore. Like you are with your beloved. And the way to think about it, if we think of distorted love, it's like you realize what the true point and end of all of your actions were. And no longer do those other things tempt you because like, well, I know that's, that's cheap love. I know that's just cheap pleasure. I want the real source and that's communion with God. And so I really loved that. And that's pretty much near the very end of the book. Oh, so good. It's just a treasure trove. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what was your last Thank one? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in my t- teaching about hell, although I didn't bring it up um, in my class today, uh, I was thinking about letter 22, especially the place where he says, music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father entered hell, though longer ago than humans reckoning in light years could express, no square inch of of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And I just love that. I love this whole idea about music and silence. And as I was thinking about why hell hates music and silence, Kristen and I were talking about it on the way to church today. Music involves at least two people, right? Music is a turning outward. And oftentimes music involves a whole group or an orchestra or a band and listeners and people making records or people, you know, putting things on the radio. Um, In addition to its beauty and the way that it can stir our hearts towards God, music turns us out of ourselves and silence allows God's voice to speak. And so um, those two things, I think, are, are real good signposts. Do I have enough music in my life? And do I have enough silence? <laughs> so that's another one that just really jumped out at me. It's funny you should say that because Marie said the other day, I don't think I've been listening to as much music recently. So when we went to church this morning, I put on a little bit of Mozart. Uh, and the only things I would add to what you just said is, one, I think music has a a natural, maybe supernatural ability to lift our spirits. And also music is inherently creative. And since you're yes. working through Tolkien at the moment, we still make by the law in which we're made. Yes. Uh, we are made by a creator God, so we are therefore sub-creators. Yes. So any kind of participation in that is likely to be life-giving. Yes. You were looking over my shoulder because that was the other part of our conversation. And Kristen said the same thing that you said that uh, about she's music. a smart lady well she's smart enough <laughs> to have married me so the jury's out on that one <laughs> <laughs> well and david maybe you can link in the show notes that blog post of the ave maria i got that was an example of the way music when i went into this service and i don't even remember if it was around easter or what prompted that to happen but it was during the pandemic and again where i'm not feeling a lot of joy and beauty And it was one of the most profound, I was in tears for the rest of the service. And I found the exact version I had heard and Mm -hmm. I wrote a blog post on it. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it really did elevate me to another level. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. 
David's like, thanks for offering up my services, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it. I'll what about your, your last uh, one, David? Uh, my last one was uh, Letter 21. This is the one that I recorded with Sister Natalia and Sister Petra. By the way, both of them are going to be doing their final professions soon. Can't remember what the date was, but it's sometime before the end of the year. Uh, so we will soon have a date for buy a nun a beer day. <laughs> uh, anyway, in letter 21, I mentioned this in the run-up to it and on the letter itself, and probably a couple of times throughout the season, that this is the letter I really hate because I absolutely see myself in it. And the key line from it is, misfortune conceived as injury. Screwtape says, men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of the injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims of life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and, as a result, ill-tempered. <laughs> well, I wish that described this so our much. current situation in the world now. <laughs> Why do you hate it so much? Because it's my natural disposition. If something bad has happened, it seems unfair somehow. I was owed better. Mm. Uh, and particularly in that chapter, he talks about time. Nothing is worse than thinking that you're going to have this stretch of time all to yourself. And then you have an unexpected guest, an unexpected duty, an unexpected job from your spouse. These are things which throw me out of whack. And I feel very personally like somebody is impinging upon something that I'm owed, in particular my time. You know, if you'll forgive me, a brief story about what you just said. Um, in 2011, uh, at the C.S. Lewis Foundation event in Oxbridge, um, Derek Bingham uh, of Blessed Memory, a Presbyterian preacher from Belfast, uh, was our opening meditation uh, the, the speaker. Uh, Derek uh, was the wrote a Shiver of Wonder, a biography of Lewis, and he also got the original wardrobe doors from the movie as the doors into the reading room at at uh, Queens College in Belfast, where Lewis's mother attended. <laughs> um, and I'd had Derek's uh, book on my shelf for years, and so when I saw that he was delivering the message that 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 evening, that afternoon, uh, I. I buttonholed him as soon as he was done. And I said, Derek, do you fancy going across the way to the Eagle and Child for a pint? And an Irishman was never going to turn down a free pint. So off we went. <laughs> and we had a marvelous conversation. And, but the thing that stuck with me is he said, you know, Andrew, I wasn't expecting this. But I've come to learn that the grace is in the interruption. <laughs> the grace That's is delicious. in the interruption. And since then, I have been tried to, trying to, because I experienced that same irritation. I taught high school. <laughs> I'm a past master <laughs> at irritation. Um, but to look at those interruptions as perhaps opportunities for grace to break through for me or for whoever's in front of me. So thank you for that good reminder. Well, let's move on because over the course of the season, we've been doing Screw Tape Unscrewed, where we've offered uh, some different untwisted advice. We've taken what Screw Tape said untwisted it and given some good advice, some do's and some do nots. So what I wanted to do in today's episode is for each of us to offer a single do and a single do not just for the book as a whole. Matt, you want to get us started? It would be my honor and my privilege and my duty. (laughs) 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 Oh, David. So my do was that fits very much with the law of undulation. Focus on habits more than feelings. 
strive for virtue in the face of difficulty. Our Heavenly Father is always with us. In my do not, do not despair along the journey. My do, uh, it will come as no surprise, my do is to love God and to love others. You know, screw tape's whole job is to turn these people into cattle that they can consume. But our, our Heavenly Father is to turn us into his, his free lovers and saints. So do defy the devil and shame the devil by loving God more and by loving your neighbor more, especially the one that interrupts and irritates you. My do not, and this has helped me for years since I first read this book, there are so many tactics and every situation, Screwtape is very, you know, Screwtape has lots of advice for Wormwood. And so it's do not blind yourself to the tactics of the enemy. He will attack you wherever you are most vulnerable. And the moment you see him and defend yourself, he'll drop that attack immediately and then come about somewhere else. We talked about it much early in the season, how he will grant us victory over one sin if we could, if he can only then add to us pride uh, in the fact that we have been victorious over that sin. And so, so don't be blind to the fact that the enemy is, uh, uh, is uh, what does James Taylor say? The devil's always out there. He's got our card on file. It's a lead pipe cinch. If we give an inch, old screw tape's going to take a mile. And as you were describing that exchange, it, it put me in mind of when I've taught my various nieces and nephews how to play chess mm-hmm. and helping them understand that uh, you can exchange pieces. Yeah, I take you, you take me. That's okay, but you want to have a look at your balance in that exchange. Do you lose out? Or or might you actually even get at one of their really great pieces? Might this look like a really great exchange, but you're walking into a mm-hmm. trap that's going to put you in checkmate? Mm-hmm. Ah, David, I play chess too. We'll have to do it. (laughs) Okay, I'm down. I'll watch. (laughs) Well, my do and do not. Do enjoy the good gifts God has given. Remember, Screwtape says he's a hedonist at heart. Uh, And I, I put that one just because it is so easy in the spiritual life to think that it, unless I have a dour disposition and a sad face, then I'm not growing towards holiness. And the one thing I got out of Screwtape in, the, in this particular reading was just how much goodness God has showered on us. And, you know, if nothing else, it's only politeness that we should enjoy it. And for my do not, do not make this world your home. Because that's, as the theme Screwtape comes back to quite a few times, he wants the patient to feel at home in the world. But God has given us a, a holy unrest to meet the things of this world, enjoy them, but still find something wanting, knowing that there's there's something more than what we currently experience mm-hmm. here. And I think that if we if we can make sure that we never lose that, we're not going to fall into screw tape's traps because we're going to realize that whatever he's offering us is always going to be inferior. It's 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 not going to be what our hearts truly desire. In his letters, which and volume three of the letters is certainly one of my all-time favorite of Lewis's books, but uh, in his letters, I think he's reflecting to Sister Penelope or someone, and he has just been transferred to Cambridge for more money and less work and more prestige, and um, and he says to a correspondent, "My lectures 
uh, which I think are are some of the best that I've ever done, have never been more poorly attended. And then his next phrase gets me. He says, it must be frightfully good for me. Frightfully good. Right? <laughs> and then he, I think this is to Sister Penelope. He says, I think what our Lord asks of us is cheerful insecurity. Right? This sense that the world is not our home and that there is hope uh, for tomorrow, but uh, but our, our fate is not certain until he comes to take us home. Ah, such good such good advice along the way. <laughs> Stops us getting too settled in either no. direction. Well, that was the letters. And once we finished Screwtape's letters, we took a month or so to work through his toast to the Tempters Training College. And we haven't really had a chance to debrief about it as a whole. So what did you think of the toast as a work in its entirety. Uh, how do you think it compared to the letters and what were your main takeaways? I didn't think it was as good as the letters personally. Um, but I always judge things based on how much is it impacting my own spiritual journey. Also probably why I like The Great Divorce better until we have faces <laughs> because it's just how much is this resonating, speaking truth to my heart in the moment and things I'm struggling with and things I'm feeling and works that do that consistently over and over to me, I feel like are the greatest works that draw me up closer. And I didn't think the screw tape, the screw tape proposed the post was that with that said, I really did appreciate the overall takeaway of individuality and how they try to reduce that. And in that process, they lose the great sinners, but they also don't have to worry about the great saints. And it's a reminder in our own life that it really is that don't be lukewarm, be hot or cold. Like, be your individual authentic self. It's that quote that I've probably mentioned before on this podcast, but when we die, God's not going to say, why weren't you Moses? Why weren't you Mother Teresa? He's going to say, why weren't you Matt Bush? Like try mm -hmm. to be yourself. And along the way, as you figure out who that is and you develop that individuality and you live out of your gifts, you're going to make mistakes and just accept that and embrace that because that individuality is what creates the opportunity for you to become a great saint. While it doesn't seem quite of a piece with the letters, that's partly because the letters have such a brilliance to them. And they were also written with a real urgency. These were on a deadline and they were written 20 years before. And so Lewis, I think, is coming from a, a much different place. And I like Screwtape Proposes a Toast. I mean, it wouldn't crush me if that wasn't necessarily included, but if you think about the screw tape letters and if you've been reading them for 20 years, as most people had by the time uh, the toast came out, what a joy to have one more shot at screw tape and one more bit of advice. And But the thing that I really love about screw tape Proposes a Toast is how timely it is, especially in its talk about democracy and feelings of superiority. And the quote that I pulled... Um, is this, but it has a far deeper value as an end to itself, as a state of mind, which necessarily excluding humility, charity, contentment, and all the pleasures of gratitude or admiration turns a human being away from almost every road which might finally lead him to heaven. And that phrase seemed to be not only of a piece with the rest of the screw tape letters, but also with Lewis's clarion call throughout his life, humility, charity, contentment, 
pleasures. And we've been talking about pleasure this whole time. And it's, a, I think, a great reminder that God, according to Lewis, is the inventor of pleasures. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Screwtape excoriates Wormwood for allowing his man two, you know, serious pleasures, authentic pleasures. Um, admiration, too. And those are the things that, taken in the right way, will turn us to the road, which will finally lead us to heaven. So I'm so glad that it's there. I would much prefer having it than not. For me, I think that the chief things that I got out of the toast were mediocrity is good for Satan. <laughs> it's not such a bad thing. Uh, but I would also say that he doesn't really want us to have real personalities. And this really ties into the final chapter of Mere Christianity, which I admit, when I first read it, I was slightly confused why Lewis kept talking about personality so much. But when you combine it with some of the things that he said in the Scrutate Letters, and particularly the toast, you get to see how the Christian life is so much richer than the mediocrity that Scrutate wants from us. He wants us to be half asleep, awake enough to consciously sin, but not awake enough to really think about what we've done. And the crucial thing for him is therefore not to repent. It was well said. Well, for this next section, I thought I would ask a slightly unusual question. What topics didn't Screwtape address, which you think would be really well suited for this sort of treatment? You know, I had a number of them, but the way the way I approached it, first of all, was I thought to myself, the Screwtape Letters is such a beautiful story of the way Satan tries to pull us away from our Heavenly Father, to develop the habits of sin, and develop the habits of vice, that ultimately in the heavenly and hellish creature metaphor lead us to reject communion with our father and to choose our own will. And when I did it, I thought to myself, okay, what drives me to sin? And how do I end up? So I, I really tried to look inside in kind of the same way Lewis did. And I thought to myself, you can't have Lewis write a book about me. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but I thought to myself, ego, the discussion on ego or desire for validation or desire for love. You know, how often do we act in a certain way around certain people, give in to certain things because we really just want to belong? And I thought that could be an interesting chapter to dive into how that can be such a temptation for us and use to cause us to sin. And I know he's addressed that in other works, actually. Um, honestly, like the inner ring, it's the biggest one. But yeah, I've, I've definitely felt that in my own life. Hmm. I thought about, I don't know if you want to just go through them all briefly, but I thought about the power of stress mm -hmm. because there's been times in my own life where stress is really just a discomfort and we want to counter that discomfort with something that will fix it. And that can go both good and poorly. So sometimes when you're stressed, you go spend an hour in holy prayer. Beautiful way to counter stress. Other times you're stressed, you turn to escapist behaviors and you can turn to vices and you can turn to drink and I think that there's something there as well. Uh, and the final one I thought would be interesting is just the role of grace. Now, I know this one's more the flip, more the angelic side, but Lewis so much focused on habits and the power mm. of habits. And, and I think that's really helpful because it gives us tools in our own journey to combat the temptations of Satan and to see them. But there is that role of, okay, what are some just things we can do in our own spiritual practices that just allow Christ to form within us and really to take over some of these things as well. So we're that, that role of grace and that process. Hmm. And he does, hmm. I do, there was a couple moments that was scattered throughout some of the letters for sure. Where like the cloud comes over and boom, protects the person. But it'd be interesting to see like 
honestly, maybe the relationship between habits and grace, where sometimes when you're creating the practices and disciplines for Christ to form within you, do those graces also come more? I don't, I don't know. And by grace mm. in this case, I'm not mm. talking about as much like forgiveness, but like strength. Mm. But you know exactly why uh, Screwtape can't ad- address grace. It's because he, he can't conceive it. it. Doesn't believe it. Yeah, he doesn't True. believe that there's <laughs> such a thing. He can think about habits, which can turn yeah. to virtues or vices. You know, he's he's familiar with those. But you know, and I love that that letter where Screwtape, you know, uh, has to repent from admitting that God w- loved the little creatures. You know, because that couldn't possibly be. You know, it's it's such a sham. I would actually have liked to have seen uh, your journey this past season, Matt, put into a screw tape format <laughs> your journey from actually beyond this season from san diego through new york now now you're back in michigan i would like to to read the screw tape uh, correspondence that uh, was going back and forth during that we're time. still you know waiting what? we're still waiting to see if i actually make it through it yet so the chapter's not that's <laughs> not quite sure <laughs> chapter 31 is definitely not written yet and i'm jury is still out how that's going to happen yeah, I, have we ever given our listeners real homework? Uh, no, okay. I don't think we have. Well, I'm, I've always wanted to do it, but Matt told me that people people don't want to do it. Having <laughs> been a high school teacher, I'm not going to give homework. But if our listeners are looking for a way to freshen up their journaling life, it may be an interesting idea to write a screw tape letter about your last week or month or your last day. What would the enemy say to you? about your successes and your failures in the last, uh, in, in a certain period of time. That might be a very creative way to do uh, what they call an examine. And bonus points if you have a really cool demon name. <laughs> Absolutely. You can even borrow tw- Trip Tweez. I don't think uh, he gets enough airplay, so. <laughs> Andrew, what did you have for this? What, what, uh, what scenario or what topic do you think would be really well suited for screw tapes treatment. Well, you know, once again, no surprise, the love of God and the love that we, the love that we've received from God, the love that we owe to God and the love that we owe to one another as the central of my, uh, not only intellectual, but practical theology. I wish that there were a screw tape letter about hatred. You know, I, I thought I would like it more, uh, but the letter that we, that perhaps fell flattest was the one about humor. And he categorizes the joke proper and flippancy and all the rest. And it's it's pretty well spelled out. And so there wasn't much to comment on. But I would love for him to break down the components of hatred um, in that same way. Because if anybody would know about hatred, it would be screw tape. And hatred is something that we have almost wholeheartedly, especially in this country, um, but in all of our disagreements, we have given ourselves permission to indulge in. Uh, we allow those people that we disagree, we allow ourselves to label them phobic in mm-hmm. either direction. And we have allowed us to treat people that that hold a different position from us as beyond the pale and then worthy of vituperation and virulence and bile. And that's a, that's a win for screw tape. And so if he were to break down the dynamics of hatred, how it starts, little things that start it, how to remove the, 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 the objections or the things that would get in the way of hatred, the anatomy of hatred, I think would be an excellent screw tape letter. 
And I think particularly the, the double speak that we do in our own heads in order to justify mm-hmm. it. I think of everything that Lewis says in the chapter from Mere Christianity on forgiveness, that everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely <laughs> idea, but they howl with pain when you suggest that they actually mm-hmm. follow it and actually do it when they are the ones that actually now have to do some yes. forgiving. Yes. It's, ah, but if you knew, ah, but if you only knew. That's what we do today. Well, it's because this person has said this, done this, thinks this, flown this particular flag, whatever. <laughs> Therefore, I am justified in this hatred. Sure. Well, for me, I wanted more stuff at church because I think this is the battleground. This was the line from Screwtape Proposes a Toast. We do our best work at the foot of the altar. And, you know, as having been involved in ministry and many different kinds of churches over a period of time, I've seen how, what a field day Screwtape can actually have even inside the sanctuary. I, w- I want more letters about the Sunday service. Mm. One was great, but I want more. Uh, the The entire process of, say, a younger relative or uh, the child of some friends getting baptized and all the drama surrounding who is God parent, what events are going to happen that day, uh, the process of getting married. This was something that I went through, and I'll say our process of getting married was blissful, straightforward, wasn't difficult. But I've heard a lot of stories where that isn't actually the case. Likewise at funerals, you know, a, a, a sad event when a close friend dies, but it's also can be made many times worse by screw tape whispering uh, things in people's ears or stopping them from thinking for certain charitable thoughts, which they perhaps should. Uh, and also the process of ministry, uh, particularly a ministry that's starting to sour, mm. somebody that is full of, of, of fresh conversion zeal and they had great hopes and things start going mm. wrong and screw tape getting in there and making them worse, as well as more interpersonal stuff, like uh, when somebody is attempting to do some brotherly correction. How many times does that go (laughs) horribly, horribly wrong? And I also wanted letters on vocation discernment, because I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I think a lot of the times they they are not thinking clearly. Screw tape is muddling them, and I think there could be some great material there. And also, where do we spend most of our time? At work, mm-hmm. at the office. I think there's some real damage you could sure. do there. Uh, from my own story, also, I went to university, and that was the real battleground for my faith, where I think it really could have gone one way or the other. So just just from my own selfish point of view, I think that would be kind of interesting to think about. Uh, and the other one I had was also on ecumenism. You know, Lewis always championed mere Christianity, and he wanted... Christian unity, and he recognized what is what unites us is greater than what divides us. But that is also one of those sensitive areas that has to be handled with great prudence. <laughs> Screw tape is great at making us not handle those situations prudently. Uh, so I think, as you as you might have guessed, I've given this particular question a lot of thought. Um, but uh, uh, one of these days, I will actually sit down when I have some spare time. You know, once we've got through all of Lewis's corpus and we've wrapped up this podcast, I might sit down and try and write my own version <laughs> of screw tape. Hey, you wouldn't be well, the first. The veritable cottage industry. It, it really is. Well, and I think that that model, um, I think that screw tape probably hates that book because he does peel back the cover on so much of his tactic. And it's been so helpful for me, and at least in a rudimentary way, to realize. Um, that uh, that he's he's trying he's trying to get at us and I love that although it was um, sparked by hearing uh, Hitler on a broadcast you know all of those years ago eighty years ago 
it's still as prescient and as timely as as ever. Well, David, shall we well, talk about the future of this podcast? Uh, before we do that, uh, we have a penultimate section. And in this section, I thought it'd be fun if we tested Matt and Andrew's knowledge of angels and demons. Not the book by Dan Brown, please tell me. <laughs> well, you never know. Okay. <laughs> Andrew's not so, going to like this, but I, gonna... I, prior to my conversion, let's say, loved angels and demons, loved, I devoured all of Dan Brown's books. That's a great page turner. Absolutely. Yep. Until you spot the formula and then it gets very boring. <laughs> Well, okay, so I'm going to do a coin toss. Matt, can you please call? Tales never fails, my friend. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> never fails to disappoint. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Andrew, would you like to go first or second? Uh, I'll go last. I'll go second so that I can go last. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Matt, round one, just one question each. What's in a name? What does the word angel actually mean? Lightness. Can I buzz in? <laughs> you can steal. Uh, it means messenger. Yes, it comes from the Greek angels. Well, that's a bummer. Okay, Andrew. I thought my guess was pretty good. Up. Yes, and because especially because the, the devil is called an angel of light. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, so Andrew, for your second point, what does the word devil mean? <gasps> oh, 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 oh. Uh, does this? No, it's. Does it mean accuser? It does. From the Greek, diabolos means accuser or slander. I could have got that one. <laughs> I was about to chime in. <laughs> okay. You should have chosen heads. <laughs> okay. At the end of that round, Andrew has two. Matt is still starting out. Next round. There's also just one question in this round. It's called, Dude, Do You Even Listen to Us? So, Matt, at the start of this season... I introduced a podcaster who is also the author of the companion book to the Screwtape Letters called C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell. Who was that author? I read the book. I don't remember the author's <laughs> name. Give me one second. Um, I've literally read. I'm going to give you his initials. W.O. William O'Flaherty. Oh, wow. There you go. Okay. I think the buzzer <laughs> should have gone off. <laughs> no, way to pull that back. Well, well, and let's that. also okay. praise him Andrew. for being the, uh, the, the guy who heads up the Essential C.S. Lewis podcast. Uh, he's done a number of wonderful um, podcasts and interviews on folks on Lewis's essays. Uh, misquotable Lewis, uh, William O'Flaherty is a delightful That's, that's yeah. the one. Well, Andrew, your question is... The next After Hours episode interview following the interview with William was with the author of the annotated Screwtape Letters, and he also worked on the Focus on the Family adaptation with Andy Serkis. Who was this man? Uh, do I get some initials? P. Paul McCusker. There you go. <laughs> um, I have to confess. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy not to take a point for that. I cheated. But you did admit it, so I can't. Okay, good. I'll take the you. point. Mm. <laughs> only half. You can only give half. But I'm back. I'm kind of cold. I'm cold hearted, so it's back. So I'm taking that bum back off. Okay, so at the end of that round, Matt has one, and Andrew is in the lead with two. And a half. <laughs> no, two. <laughs> but this this might be the round that's going to separate the men from the boys. So, Matt, how many choirs of angels are there? Choirs of angels. 70. Mm -hmm. That is incorrect. Andrew, would you like to steal? There's one. 
Wrong but strong. Also incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this actually, I was, I was expecting this might be a high-scoring round. It might be a very low-scoring <laughs> round. Uh, taking it in turns, and we will start with Andrew. Can you name one of these choirs of angels? And we'll take it in turns. Uh, the seraphim? Bingo. Yep, seraphim. The, the so cherubim. For Andrew. The cherubim for Matt. Excellent. The archangels? They are also a level. That's another one for Andrew. They're like Griffs or Gryffindors or Griff Griff somethings. <laughs> That's Harry but Potter. No, but there's a Griff something, isn't there? No. no. <laughs> the Seraphim, Cherubim. Those would have been the guide. Andrew did say Archangels. What's a word that's very similar to that? Angels. Archdevil. Boom. <laughs> Andrew gets another I'm one. I guess there are seven. There's, there's nine, nine in total. Okay. Yeah, I'm tapped out then. <laughs> okay. The ones you didn't get were thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, and principalities. Oh, okay. There's a wonderful work by Pope St. Okay. Gregory. You know, goes through I, each of these. That's a Catholic question, and so I, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, that we'll allow it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I've checked with the judge. He is going to allow it. <laughs> okay. So, continuing on with angels and demons in scripture, Matt. Satan is often called Lucifer, but what does this name mean? And for a bonus point, in what book of the Bible is this name used? This name referring to Lucifer? What does the word Lucifer literally mean? And in which book of the Bible do we find it? Devil meant the accuser. I was going to say the accuser. Um so I'm just going to stick with X. I got no other better guess. And I'm hoping that's a coincidence that you ask something that has the same answer twice, even though I know likely statistically it's not the case. Well, maybe you want to go back to an earlier answer that you gave that was incorrect then, but might be correct <laughs> What? Now. What are you doing? I don't remember which one I gave it. Lightness, lightness, comes... lover of light, lover of darkness, lover of darkness, lover okay, of darkness. Great. Okay, I'm not giving you it that. It comes Andrew, from the Latin lux lucus, meaning light, and pharaoh, meaning to carry. Lucifer means the light bearer or the bearer of light. And what, there you go. what um, book? Uh, I'm going to say Luke. Is it Luke where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like an angel of light? And he says Satan there, though. Uh, the, the term Lucifer is found in the prophet ah, Isaiah. that's the next thing. it was originally referring to the king of yes, Babylon. Yes, and that's chapter 9 with the, or 14 with the seven I will statements. Yes, so, chapter 14. That's a good chapter. You don't get any bonus that's points That's a good for chapter, that. though. I love chapter 14. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andrew. In the Annunciation, Mary is told by an angel that she will give birth to Jesus. What was the name of that angel, and in which gospel is that recorded? Ah, that's uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it's the angel Gabriel. And it was Our Lady of Walsingham in England who told us the dimensions of the holy house in which the Annunciation was made. Boom. Take that, Catholic Matt. You know, this this, this (laughs) quiz would be going drastically different had I guessed heads. (laughs) (laughs) By drastically, I just mean I would be much closer in score. I'd probably still not be winning, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see if you can pull it back this time. Matt. Mary was greeted by an angel, but her husband Joseph was visited by angels in dreams. In what gospel are these recorded? And how many angelic dreams did St. Joseph receive? Oh, David. I don't know which gospel is in. I mean, I would assume maybe it's in the Luke story still. Um, Is that your final answer? Yes. 
<laughs> it's your I namesake. Tried to, tried to help you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the gospel of Matthew. <laughs> wow, shoot. And are, are there were there two dreams? That is incorrect. So, uh, Matt, would you like to have a guess? How many dreams did St. Joseph have where he received a message well, from an angel? three now. It's closer, but the answer is actually... Oh, my goodness. So there's the... Oh, there's the dream to go to Egypt, the dream to come back from Egypt, the dream not to not to hesitate to take her for your wife. Mm-hmm. And also, when they come back after Egypt, it, it there's, there's... Okay, now, now, now move to a different okay. part of Israel. And you know what's a really good book about that? A couple of books. Um, Anne Rice, uh, from Interview with a Vampire... Um, mm -hmm. was an atheist for many years and then uh, came to Christ and returned to the Catholic faith of her youth. And while she was there, wrote a book called um, something like Christ the Lord um, Out of Egypt and then um, Christ the Lord, The Journey to Cana, two books about the young life of Christ. And she did amazing research. We have yeah. her story in, uh, in Mere Christians. I think she's in a different place now. But Christ the Lord out of mm -hmm. Egypt That's and Christ it. the Lord the Road to Cana, um, both really, really well, well worth reading. That's where those. That's where I learned about those. So for the last question, worth twenty I, points. I'm going to go to Matt. Yeah. Do we have a tally? Well, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give a tally at the end of this round. So Matt, how many archangels are named in the Bible, Catholic and Protestant canons, and can you name as many of them as you can? Why is he going first? <laughs> not even gonna, not, uh, Go for it. Archangel Michael. Yep. I'm going to assume Ar Gabriel was an archangel. Yep. I got nothing. Those are the two biblical ones. The, the Catholic ones are uh, Raphael and Uriel. I'm going to, I'm def I definitely give you a, a point for Raphael. And the, the Uriel isn't in the Catholic canon, but there are, another an, an, from the book of Tobit, there's a speaking of. It describes seven archangels, oh, wow. and they have a number of different names that are pulled okay. from tradition. Uh, yeah, Uriel, uh, Saraquel, and Raguel, and okay. Remiel. Okay, so we are now going to move on from sacred scripture to devilish literature. And at the moment, the score is five to Matt and eight to Andrew. Okay, I have got five. more than eight. Oh, no, sorry, okay, nine. Sorry, go. nine. <laughs> Matthew. David. Name the American author of the best-selling mystery thriller novel, Angels and Demons, which was published in the year 2000. Okay, how's, why is Matt going first now? Oh, this one works. Because I thought he would get the answer to this one. <laughs> so you anticipated that would be Tales. Matthew, can you give us the answer? Daniel Brown. And his last name? Brown. Thank you. Okay, so, Andrew, what is the name of the epic poem in blank verse featuring the devil? written by the 17th century English poet, John Milton. Um, well, let me, uh, let me quote, uh, I think it's Chesterton, and Malcolm Geit um, quotes this often, that, that malt does more than Milton can to justify God's ways to man. And of course, he's talking about <laughs> Paradise Lost, and then of course, it's equal Paradise Regained. Wonderful. Matthew, in the German legend, what is the name of the demon to whom Faust sells his soul? I have no idea what a German legend is in Faust. Andrew is looking very happy. Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. Well, Andrew, for your follow-up question to that, T.S. Eliot's book, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, was adapted into the musical Cats and released fairly recently as a movie, which was very weird, including 
Matthew's girl, Taylor Swift. What was the name of the feline named after the demon from Faust? Is it also Mephistopheles? I don't know. It's very close. It's the magical Mr. Mestopheles. Mestopheles. And then um, Bono's devil character, is that a question coming up? Is no. Macfisto. <laughs> so, uh... yeah. No, I have an appointment with okay. my nephew this summer to watch cats and to laugh accordingly. <laughs> so we're going to end with angels and demons in Lewis. Matthew. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we are told that the White Witch is partially descended from giants and from what mythical demonic race? Dwarfs. That is incorrect. Andrew, can you steal? Uh, Lilith. Lilith, Adam, our, our father Adam's first wife. The answer I was going for was the djinn. Oh, Okay. Andrew, you go first this time. In the unpublished preface of the Screwtape Letters, Lewis says that these letters were translated from another language. What was that language? Old Solar. Excellent. The language of the Space Trilogy. Matthew, how many demons are named in the Screwtape Letters? And identify as many as you can. Oh, we got Screwtape and Wormwood. You've got... Mm -hmm. um, I want to say puddle glob, but it's not that. Okay, he's just saying no, but there's. Now. I, it's uh, gonna come to me. It's 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 <laughs> horseradish, horse horse. No, um, it starts with an H. That is incorrect. Uh, okay. uh, <laughs> would you like to guess at the number of demons before I hand this over to Andrew? Five. That is correct. Awesome. <laughs> Pure guess. Slub glob, slub glob, trip tweez, and glubos. Glubos is the one I was thinking of. Oh, my goodness. I think, actually, Andrew has just stolen a point from you because I forgot about that because nobody mentioned Toad Pipe. Toad Pipe, of course. No. Of course. I think we got to stick with the official rules that we're on and you can't change them. I, I, I think you're I th Yeah, but I named I think three right. and he named two. So I still get it. It's, it's really nice to see, though, the competitive streak of Andrew come out. <laughs> I'm enjoying it a little Matthew, bit. Matthew, for the final question, how many letters does Screwtape write to his nephew? 31. Boom. Only because I chose the 31st one. So <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have known that before today. Okay, so in second place, it was Matthew Bush with 10. But in first place, it was Andrew Lasso, seminarian, with 16. Assistant to the chief tempter. I think anyone listening to this would recognize the gap was greater than the 1610 would suggest. <laughs> That's a great quiz, David. Well, we, I, might, I might bring it back from time to time, but uh, I, I just, I just, I really just wanted to ask the question about the choirs of angels, and then everything grew uh, from there. Yeah. <laughs> but now we've got everybody limbered up. Let's talk about the remains of this season and their next season. So on Thursday, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Ward of Planet Narnia fame about his latest book on the abolition of man. And then after that, we're going to have Narnia Month. And the three of us are going to be discussing the silver chair with a very exciting guest co-host. <laughs> and that means that the four of us are going to be on a single call. So this may well end in Bedlam. But then after that, we're going to have a number of Narnia-related interviews. We've got Dr. David Downing, Dr. Devon Brown, Dr. Brian Williams, Dr. Ray Baker, Catherine Langrish... 
And we're wrapping up with an interview that Andrew gave uh, related to Narnia on another podcast. Nice. David, do you know where the word bedlam comes from? Wasn't it an insane asylum? Yes. Where? London. Yes. Originally called? Bethel. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yeah. Good. Good on you. (laughs) What's after that? I had a very faint memory of being told that at school. (laughs) What's after that, Matt? Then after that, we're going to Narnia Month. We'll be interviewing a bunch more guests. I didn't know Dr. Diana Glyer is going to be with Narnia Month. I uh, I have reached uh, out to her. Not, and it's after Narnia Month. And, and we'll, uh, we'll be talking about her new book, Compass of Deep Heaven. Oh, that's going to be fun when I'm jealous. That was one of my favorite interviews. Hopefully mm-hmm. no one else I've interviewed listens to this. Um, <laughs> and then I get an interview, and I'm excited for this one. And I'm trying to still figure out how to do the interview because there's just so much knowledge in this book. But Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, who wrote the book When the Church Was Young, when we've we've referenced multiple times, and I want to really dive into the church fathers and ask him questions of what we could learn from them, how much emphasis we should place on them, different views with them, and how to approach them and all that stuff. Well, and then we'll do a few more special episodes. Um, I'm looking forward to those interviews uh, that you do, Matt. Uh, I'll do an episode about vintage C.S. Lewis books. Um, There actually was just an an episode on Inklings Folk that talked about uh, vintage Lewis books and how to track those down. Uh, I've had initial contact with Max McLean about possibly doing an interview about what he's up to and what he has been up to. And uh, we have a couple of different ideas cooking about music-related episodes. And so uh, David and I are, are dreamcasting that, and uh, we'll be following up on that pretty soon. And much, much more. And we'll be wrapping up Season 4 in September. We'll then take a little bit of a break for a few weeks while I get used to looking after a small child. <laughs> and not sleeping. And then we will be back with Season 5. And in Season 5, our early schedule is going to calm down a little bit uh, for two reasons. One, we increased the number of episodes we were producing during COVID just to give people more entertainment during a particularly tough time. Uh, But uh, also, I've got to be changing a lot of diapers, so I'm going to need to spend some more time doing that. We'll still have an episode every Tuesday working through The Four Loves, as we said before. And we'll have at most maybe a couple of After Hours episodes each month. But we've also got some exciting plans for other projects, other events, which we will unveil at the beginning of season five. As always, we love to use the beginning of seasons as opportunities to introduce new things, to try new things, because as we've mentioned before, we love this ministry. We love growing it. It's been a blessing because of all the support from our Patreon supporters that we've been able to do this. And we as a group try to ask ourselves, what, how can we take this to the next level? And so we will have some things for you all. Ah, marvelous. I'm so looking forward to the next season. Um, The Four Loves, in some ways, is kind of a a prose retelling of uh, the the points that Lewis was trying to get at until we have faces. And we have Mm. lots of good stuff uh, about that book and many other things, Lewis, uh, coming up. As we wrap this up, as I'd mentioned, uh, we just really genuinely want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. You guys make this possible. You allow us to produce this and to be able to focus so much on the content. It's been a blessing. And because of your work, I'm excited to see where God takes his ministry in season five. And we would like to thank, in particular, our top tier supporters. That's Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Monique, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Kelly, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. Remember when it was just like John's, James, Kate, and Rowdy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's to you. We raise a glass.
Uh, also want to remind you to follow us on social media. That's so important. Like us, share us, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, of course, MySpace and Facebook. Um, and if you would take the time to write even a brief, but hopefully very positive iTunes review, uh, we'll probably read some of the funnier ones on our season finale. But uh, those are the things that uh, that the powers that be measure. And uh, if you want to see this podcast continue to to continue and thrive, uh, a brief positive uh, review on iTunes would help us tremendously. What do we got coming up for merch, David? Yes, I just want to make a, a brief announcement. The coffee mugs have been a little bit delayed, and it's all related to my move out of California. Uh, but I can assure you that we will have them sorted before the close of the season. Lovely. So we'll have our, maybe we'll do a, a, a mold cider with Jack uh, by the end of the year. So thank you so much for joining us through this episode. It's been great fun. Join us again next time. When we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. 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 Cheers.